Hello and welcome to episode 18 of the Money Talks. And I have another very interesting guest with a very interesting journey joining us today. And uh, so uh, it doesn't require much of an introduction because this is now a third time founder because uh, in, in doing his third venture, Mr. Pranjal. Pranjal, how are you? Thanks, Anirudh. Thank you. Glad to be here. Good. Welcome to the show. I'm, I'm so excited to have you ha- have you over here. Uh, you know, we've uh, obviously known each other for a long time now uh, as investors in, in your company. But, uh, you know, this is must be really interesting time because you're 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 in a sector that's affected the most by COVID. Definitely. So our space has been badly hit because of COVID. Uh, our situation in Ap- March and April dropped to almost, uh, you know, from 100% revenue to almost 10 to 20% within a span of a couple of weeks. So, of course, our entire space is badly hit. But I believe this is the right time for companies who have good tech bandwidth and who have planned to innovate. And, and you know what? It's really going to be exciting because, uh, you know, to hear, and we'll talk about it later a little bit, uh, about your plans of how you're going to emerge out of COVID much stronger, much more resilient, and with a much more powerful team. But before we get there, Pranjal, let's talk a little bit about where you started. I believe you're one of the few entrepreneurs that I know from uh, Sivam Bihar. And that's where that's that's you consider that to be a hometown. Yeah, Sivan and Gopalgat. Yes. So uh, my parents are from Bihar and I have spent a uh, few early years in Gopalganj in Sivan district. My father was part of Indian Air Force, so I had opportunity to travel across India uh, while growing up. Oh, wow. So you're a military child. Yes. Oh wow, good. I I think there is uh, there's so much exposure the military children get because you know they get posted in so many you know the parents get posted in so many different places and they get to really see India probably from a much much more different perspective than we do. Has, has, do you think that you being you know being a military child has had any effect on uh, how you how you run your companies today? So I think a lot of agility comes from that experience when you are ready to leave any city in two, three years time time span and uh, always ready to pack your bags and willing to move to another part of the country. So, yeah, I do believe some sort of agility is, uh, you know, maybe borrowed from those experiences. What's the what's the ecosystem like? What What is what is Sivam Bihar known for? <laughs> Not too many good things. <laughs> Sivan is a very small district in Bihar. It's close to Eastern UP. Unfortunately, we do not have a lot of good stories coming out of Bihar, uh, Sivan. But it's a small district, has good connectivity. And most of the people are either in farming or they're working with government. And after that, you attended the Atal Bihari uh, Vajpayee Triple ITM Institute, did your bachelor's in MBA in IT before taking up a job with OGIS, OGIS Networks. Right. I think you were a consultant there for a couple of years. What what was the what was the life plan? What was the life plan to become an entrepreneur, or was it something different? Right. So I joined a five year course in Triple ITM. The whole idea was to complete BTEC and MBA in one go. So I'm supposed to be a good product guy because my entire education has been around IT systems, uh, BTEC and MBA around that. You and say supposed to be as if as if you're not. <laughs> I think market market should tell tell those things uh, whether how, how good we are doing in terms of uh, building right product, but that I mean in terms of the entire batch size, if you look at people who are graduating from Triple ITA, I find at least fifty or sixty percent people are doing something in building products. So 
we always had that mindset even during college we we were part of couple of you know startup initiative i was also fortunate to work with ogis as you know as my first company i was the third team member in the identity and access management team there mr rao and samir they had you know they were amazing they had success stories uh, you know prior to ogis as well so i got a chance to closely see the life of uh, entrepreneurs in my very early days of life and i think that's that's what Uh, you know kept me what did ogis do so for the people that would not know what what did what did ogis do so ogis is again an idg funded company so they were into information security services business mainly so they started from india okay. moved to us as uh, and recently got acquired i think last year they got acquired by nsit and so that was that your first taste of uh, vc and then an inspiration to do vc after that yes so unfortunately i haven't been very lucky with the on the vc front but yeah so i got to work with ogis very closely with entire management team there and you know got a first hand experience and exposure of what it is like to build a you know company from scratch solve you know different part of problem starting from building product hiring to gtm to partnership and and then you know what what part of that experience you know obviously being part of a very early uh, uh what what i would say the very early vc you know company founded in the very early stage of vc in india right and when things were just developing i mean idg was called idcl not chirate right uh what was that experience like and how did that did that did that have any effect on the way you built a company later on or thought so, about building a company later on so i believe all our policies and mindset is uh, you know borrowed from our prior experiences so even in you know when we were working with ogis uh, most of our policies and thought process were uh, you know borrowed from wipro because people have uh, you know spent good amount of time most of the management and senior people they had experience with wipro so our way of working is somewhere uh, you know has some element from our prior experience and i think even today some of our policies our uh, you know way of you know doing things that can directly be linked with what we have experienced in our early career days and to that point pranjal do you think that you know again this is not something we had talked about earlier but just came to mind that because you know you had a couple of years standard ogis you were you know obviously was a early company but even then there was some structure around you 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 want the guy running the show you were just given a maybe a one or two functions and told to run with it do you think that that kind of an upbringing is preferred to let's say you just graduate from triple itm and straight away become an entrepreneur or a founder you you think the pathways would have been different for you if if you hadn't done ogis so to today if you ask me probably i would have uh, taken a different path and i every so wherever i get an opportunity i say that we should have experience of three different type in our life before we start to build a company because it's a, it's a long journey it requires different type of uh, you know mindset and uh, some exposure so we should work in a very small team where we are we have uh, you know power to build and quickly change things we should also have exposure and experience of a very large organization process driven organization where we believe in the power of processes and you know working in a very different type of uh, structure and the third experience should be in a mid size organization let's say 100 200 to thousand uh, people company where you have both once you go through these three different phases i think you are ready some people might be able to grasp everything in a one year or two years of span some some people might take more time but having these three experiences is definitely valuable so, and that and at what point did you decide you know what i'm done now i need to spread my wings i'm going i'm going to go solo and i'm going to start this company called uh, picture technologies right is that is that what it was called 
Okay. What what led to that decision to start a company? So uh, while working with Aegis, though it was a small company, we were mostly deployed at client side. So there, I had an opportunity to work with large clients like HP and all. So over a period of two to three years time, I could get a sense of what is happening in larger organization and and how in a small and agile uh, team functions at uh, likes of Aegis. And then somebody, you know, one of uh, one of my friend Bharat, so he approached that, hey, we are, uh, you know, planning this cool hardware product, and would you like to join? I said, yeah, why not? Let's explore it. So it just it was uh, shared with me, uh, Bharat Jain. He was one of my college friend, Bharat Jain and Arpit uh, Gupta. So both of them reached out to me, and I was the third guy to join that team. Wow. And and what did what did Picure do? What was what was the product? What was the technology? So Picure was a selfie booth back in 2011-12. So we used to build large format uh, touchscreen devices, and that had ability to capture photos, share it on social wall. Have I mean, it used to have branding. And was this like a paid service? Was it free? What was the motivation? So this used to be free for people for the. Uh, for the end users but businesses so for, for for from our perspective this was a hardware as a service model we used to rent it out and businesses used to pay a couple of thousands for you know having it inside their premises for them it was a data collection source for them it was uh, organic branding on social media through their existing guests you you obviously uh, what was the but where did the idea get born like i understand this was this is like pre instagram days right we're talking 2011 and i'm guessing you know you would have really loved if there was something known as the instagram feed or the instagram stories right back then this would have really been a hit product but you guys Correct. sort of were 8 years or rather 5 years too early so we saw people clicking photos next to uh, hard hard rock cafe somewhere so and that's mm-hmm. when bharat they thought this can be a let's give them a proper way to flaunt their presence and these devices used to be installed in clubs even in malls and uh, airport also had a couple of devices for quite some time did you guys uh, raise any money how was this all funded the 100 machines so we raised some small amount friends family mainly but that was a good test bed for us to learn what not to do in india how not to build a hardware uh, hardware intensive <laughs> business and, so tell us more uh, what, what what is not not to be done in india <laughs> so scalability was a problem uh, also uh, when hardware is not hardware is one of your core uh, product and you do not have competency to design it in your own lab that's not uh, the right mindset and right way to build a business where you do not have control over one of the most critical aspect uh, scaling scale, you know scaling that entire model was really a challenge so we so were importing these fully built units from from china i'm guessing or yes so we were importing from china we also had uh, domestic uh, suppliers and then we used to do some branding and the software part was in house so we realized that our strength was software and for that we do not to need to invest so much in hardware when we got the opportunity then, you know that's a critical exit. thing that people don't don't understand when their secret sauce is outsourced right which is you know or rather the, you know the hardware hardware device itself you literally are giving your company to someone else right to right. to run and to do whatever they want with it so we had challenges we could not in uh, you know do experiment with design the, the overall outcome of the product was not in our control we were dependent on three four different vendors they had their own mindset timeline and ways of thinking around it so i think now the overall hardware system, uh, ecosystem is much more evolved we have uh, you know more domestic vendors offering the right type of product and abilities but at that point of time it was you know different challenge altogether what was i guess what was your peak moment at picure when you felt like you know 
I mean, if there's one thing you'll remember, pick your bio, it would be that forward. When Tinder was launched in India, I saw somebody, uh, you know, one photograph, uh, which was captured from the device. And at that point, we thought, oh, okay, wow. yeah, I think we're doing some, something right. <laughs> uh, but it was uploaded from the device onto Tinder? Yes. Like what, what led to you now deciding, you know, that, okay, instead of Picure, I mean, instead of what Picure is doing, I'm going to go after a whole, I mean, completely different market, right? And, and we'll get into why you got there. But uh, what, what, what was the moment you decided, you know what, this is not going to work out. We need, we need to do something else. So at certain stage, we realized that this is not a very large scalable model just because there are different factors. Uh, it requires intensive capital investment. And the overall payback period is a couple of months away. So any business with the right team and right mindset, probably you can run it profitably for, you know, with a couple of crores of revenue. But our realization was that making it, a, you know, 10 crore plus type of, you know, sustainable business over over a period of time is going to be difficult with this product. So the maximum potential we were already doing a couple of crores at that point of time. We realized that, uh, you know, probably we need to figure if we are looking at the next league of let's say a hundred or a thousand crore type of uh, revenue over five to ten years time, then we need to pick something else. So definitely that was not the product that was not the market we wanted to be in. But that, that's very rare. I think back then, two crore revenue per year, right, for a technology startup, especially in the hardware space, considering the model you guys are doing, that, that's pretty rare. I think it's a pretty proud moment, actually, if you could, you know, if you had told us back then, I think any VC yeah. would have been running with, behind you with some money. No, for, for a 25-year-old guy with, uh, you know, zero expectation, I think that was a decent outcome. But we realized that, no, this is, even if we put best of our time, effort, and all, all the resources we had at disposal, we, then scaling it beyond certain you know, revenue was not uh, going to happen. So we realized that let's pick something where we do not have all the challenges. Let's remove the hardware. Let's remove the dependency from other parties. Let's remove the uh, challenges in scaling it up and distribution. So, and from How there- How to convince all three founders you know what, this is not going to work, that's not going to work, let's cut this out, let, let's take whatever's making us, you know, 10, 15 lakh rupees a month right now and completely do away with it because it's not going to be in the future. How difficult or easy was that to convince at, at, uh, at your founder level and then obviously at your investor level? So the good thing is when you work with smart people, data says a lot of things. So uh, it was not, I think it was uh, mutually decided that yeah, if, we are, if, if we are going to invest next few years of our time in entrepreneurship, this product is not going to be the main outcome. We have to you know, think of something else. So, and, and, and then you decided completely like I, I, you were, you were discuss, you were, you had a bit of hospitality in your portfolio, but you went completely to the other side saying you were going to do reputation management for hospitality company. Like when yeah. did that switch? So while, we what were, was the... while we were working with uh, restaurants and hotel, one of the hotel part, so we had access to customers. So that was, uh, one opportunity and we were not burning money right we were almost breaking even we were making a couple of lakhs every uh, as a profit also so we had Again, time. Had, yeah so we had time we had access to problem areas we used to meet hoteliers we used to meet uh restaurateurs and all other industry professionals so we were exposed to what type of problem they are facing and while delivering picker we realized that okay there is an opportunity uh, somebody said ITC, one of the uh, hotel chain in India. So they said, can you help us post reviews from this device to TripAdvisor? And that clicked. Okay, fine. If they are asking, you know, you know, for a specific feature, probably we can pick it up and remove the hardware from it. So that was our uh, movement when we thought, okay, here we have another opportunity. 
let's build something purely on in SaaS model where distribution is not a challenge and it you know it can so it, it can be distributed to a larger market. So when you said we, did you mean you were the founders were personally meeting meeting the customers? Yes. So since uh, we were selling you know these devices, we were still working with a lot of active customers. So we had opportunity to meet customers every day. So, so you're telling uh, me Pranjal, that it's a good idea to meet your customers and they'll tell you what to do. Definitely. Even today also, you've given a, you know, we make sure that every month we are meeting certain number of people outside our office, uh, you know, It's team so important for founders to understand that, right? That, that you know, you, your customer may not always be right, but they must always be heard. I mean, just think about how an entire new business idea came out of maybe meeting an ITC and understanding their pain point. And I've seen so many customer, so many company pivots happen from such moments, right? Where you meet somebody, you meet a customer, you understand their problem. And then, you know, you know what? What I'm doing is so stupid because I should be solving this and this is everyone's problem. And and then then you guys decide, okay, at the drop of a hat, what, what was it? Was it at a drop of a hat? What happened to all the devices? What was the the wind down plan for, for Picure before Repub started? So we found a partner who was willing to, you know, run it. So we sold licenses of uh, devices to Kodak. Kodak LRS, the photographic okay. and they still have, I think, a couple of devices up and running. So we signed a contract with them to, uh, you know, pass on all the revenue opportunities we had with them. Oh, wow. And they had a distribution uh, network. They had, uh, you know, studio guys across entire India. So they picked it up and deployed it in a different segment. And I, I think those, those yellow devices that, that you see from place to place, are those the ones that were originally yours? I'm sure because we were one of the early, early vendor in this space. I'm sure you might have seen them, some of them at airports and all. So now tell me, so the idea to start Repub, you know, how that came came about. How did you, how did the three founders catch up, right? Vineet, Sachin, you had Bharat, or Bharat I'm guessing left yeah. and did something yes. of his own. How, what was the reshuffle like? So then we built a new team. Uh, Arpit was with us for uh, initial few, you know, some time. And then he also decided to move to move on. Uh, by then, I had, uh, you know, Vineet had already joined. So uh, I also got an opportunity to invite Sachin, you know, and see what we are doing. Sachin was investor in Picker earlier. So we had given him an okay. exit while, you know, building wrap up. So after, uh, you know, running the entire show for almost one, two years time, I invited Sachin to just come and spend some time with us and see if this is this uh, space where he wants to invest a couple of years from his time. And then he so decided. What, so how did you meet Vineet? So Vineet is my college friend. So uh, okay. I know him since 2004. And and what? why did you invite Sachin? You had all these investors, but you chose Sachin to become a co-founder. Why was that? So uh, I have, again, so Sachin has known to me since 2009, 10 time. And I had known his capability around building the right, the product side. And we we were desperately looking for somebody. There was a gap when Arpit left, so we were looking for somebody to fill in that part. And Sachin had the right competency. We had the right synergy, so it was easy decision for all of us to quickly onboard him. But it's very rare to have somebody get co-founder status two years after the company has started, right? And it, and it obviously shows a lot of maturity from your part to do it. But was it easy for you guys to tomorrow come and tell people, you know what, uh, or or even the the team that we're a tight unit, but guess what? We've got a new co-founder and everybody else, you know, should now respect him as a co-founder. What was that whole dynamic like? So the good part is uh, when you have a very small team, people value each other based on contribution they are doing in the business. So uh, I, if we have the right competency in the team member, I don't see that as a challenge. 
uh, in a 10 15 20 people team it's it's not such a big deal so people quickly okay. adapt and start seeing value they are delivering in business but was there was it, did you face any issues at all or was it relatively an easy easy kind of a move for you to make uh, that so i think initially we i think we did not see anything in in terms of uh, human issues but uh, yeah of course we had we had to convince our investors we have to figure out a way to uh, do the equity part and figure out some you know right way to do taxation and other things so we had those challenges but on human side we i, I don't think there was any issue i, I like the word you use human side legal side it's, it's so compartmentalized with you pranju you know <laughs> it's very interesting but uh, but and, and in the early days of your business you know you 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 clearly said that i focus a lot on the cac and because i'm i'm guessing a lot of that came from the fact that you came from a hardware business that was actually making money right so you right. weren't in a business that was uh, that was burning cash right so you obviously and, and obviously you understood the value of every customer but what was this whole focus tell us a little bit about what this is and and before you start guys if there's any questions i know i have a ton of them two pages full if anybody anybody has any questions for pranjal please go ahead and ask in the comment section below and we'll take it up as we get time so pranjal the question what was the focus on early on cac so uh, you rightly said uh, we were already we had our own challenges running a hardware setup so uh, we just wanted to get rid of those challenges and build something on top of it so initially we thought that uh, hotel is a larger opportunity and the overall distribution is much more easier there and we can uh, india can you know can be a large enough opportunity we can reach certain revenue just being in india india as a market but when we started working with hotels we realized that the entire saas industry is in a different shape here even though we are selling a software which can be used over phone or a desktop we have to go and physically meet these uh, people to sell after investing almost two years two iterations on the rep up initial version we decided that our price point and the cost we acquire you know cost we incur in sales doesn't justify this price point so we had to leave one segment altogether and we decided to shut down our sme vertical so at one stage we had around you know one or two representative for every state starting from kashmir to till you know, kanyakumari uh, but we had to close that, down that entire team and then we started focusing on enterprise so again the learning so we had almost 46 47 people at that point of time so wow and how, did you have to let go of people or, or what happened to those people so we had to take some hard calls we had to uh, you know retain we retained a couple of people who were uh, you know working in the enterprise segment but we had to let go a large chunk of them wow and that, that was pretty early yes i think in 2017 we were happy to acquire a customer but retention was a challenge uh, the collection was a problem uh, even the cost of support and those things were you know uh, looking differently on our mis uh, and we got to know those things once we saw the entire life cycle you know from first sign up till renewal after investing you know almost uh, 18 months on the sme side we decided to shut down and just focus on the segment which was uh, which had the market fitment at a particular price point where we saw most of the customers are not churning out they are happy they are paying on time and we are able to add value in their life so sma business i felt that we are not right for them and at certain price point we are not doing justice to them even if so when you say sma in in the in, in the reputation management space for hospitality what kind of business would you classify as an sme versus let's say a, a large or an enterprise customer so uh, sme are typically all the hotels in uh, you know without any large brand association so it may be a you know standalone guest house or a small hotel with less than let's say 
50 or 60 rooms and they might be you know uh, these are all the boutique and standalone businesses ran by families and uh, you know maybe with us with a lean team where overall uh, you know focus is just delivering good bed, bed and breakfast but typically these are all non branded hotels that those are too small because to manage their own reputation yeah see the problem exists for everyone but unless you invest certain amount it, it's not justified from our end to offer that service. So we realized that the, our sweet spot was the below $500 annual contract. It doesn't make sense. And for a smaller hotel, that amount was significant enough. Probably if we could have reduced the price by 50%, we would have seen a different type of practice. We realized that our pack doesn't justify the lifetime value is going to be impacted if we reduce our cost. So, so now, now let's, let's just understand what did Repop do actually, right? What, what was Repop's business and what was the value prop you were offering? Uh, to your customers, which would cost $500 a month. No, sorry, $500 a year. So for an SME oh, business. Yeah. Repop used to provide uh, a platform to manage all the customer reviews, have analytics around it, understand, you know, you know, what are the pain areas and, you know, how does each and every function of a hotel is performing based on customer reviews and uh, feedbacks. So it used to be a, you know, kind of feedback system, which, uh, you know, which is used by, you know, even restaurants and all other industry verticals today. How how are you acquiring customers? You said you said obviously feet on street model was one of them, but how much of this was organic versus inorganic growth? So we had a large feet on street team for India market. Uh, then we realized that again the cost is huge, and if we are just meeting four or five people every day, again it's a challenge. So then we decided to build inside sales. Then we again uh, invested some time and resources on building a team where uh, we started calling people and you know. At least we, the idea was to reduce 40-50% of the entire sales cycle from offline to online. And then you met Sanjay Mehta. When did you meet Sanjay Mehta in this whole journey? So when we were pivoting from Picker to Repup, I reached out to uh, uh, you know bunch of investors. Again, all cold emails and LinkedIn messages. And Sanjay is the kind of guy who reads each and every uh, message and responds to them. Uh, he liked the idea. He got it validated from uh, Deep Kalra and a couple of other people from the industry. And then we uh, decided to raise a small round. And how is, so Sanjay actually has been on the show before. I think he was the second investor who we uh, featured on the show. And, uh, you know, he's, he's got his own way of thinking, right? Sanjay is one of those. He's always looking for the 100x, which is why I think he's called his VC fund 100x. But what is the role that he's played for Eva? What's the value that he brought on board? So Sanjay is one of the uh, investors who understand B2B very well, uh, not just in terms of product, but also in terms of GTM and the challenges faced by, uh, you know, entrepreneurs in early days of their journey. So from building our GTM engine to focusing on enterprise segment to finding the right uh, people in industry alignment, I think he has been instrumental. We used to be on call almost every week, uh, you know, from product to all other uh, problem areas. Also, Sanjay is very straightforward. So <laughs> if we are not doing something <laughs> right, we will be very upfront to say that, hey, these, these are the three things probably you need to look from a different angle. So it has helped us, you know, understand the India as an opportunity, challenges, and definitely around building partnerships and all other areas. And, and before we get into the, the whole India, in, in India conversation, you know, what was the importance of, of having a mentor period? Let's not just say Sanjay, but you had multiple mentors along your journey. What is the importance you place on them and, and how do you choose choose them? What's the, uh, the methodology for you? At any point of time, we have our own challenges and we want to solve one thing, right? 
one or two things which are in our um, you know top priority list so again coming you know sanjay had definitely was uh, you know always involved he was on our board and he was actively involved in the business but we also had around 30 plus other angel investors uh, on our cap table so we were again lucky to have somebody where we can just pick pick the phone and call somebody and ask specific question so like when we decided to switch from sme to enterprise again we needed to speak with somebody who understand the enter- enterprise business well uh, when we decided to move outside india and focus on global market again we wanted to speak with the, with somebody who has done india outbound uh, in global market have sold in certain price segment so we had access to people and at every stage we had our own problem and we had a lot of people to go to and these are how how are you finding these people how are you reaching out to them couple of angels we directly got in touch and uh, they joined the round but uh, 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 then we took the round to ien and a lot of people f- joined from that network indian angel network as it as and an entrepreneur it's it's important to be shameless in asking so <laughs> if you're not reaching out to your what do you talk about pranjal you're you're, you're like, come on there's founders here you're making it sound like this is such an easy process tell tell them like what what how much rejection did you have to deal with because i'm sure you reached out to many people you cold called uh, but when it comes to finding mentors not everybody is available right but so so how, how like I, i think that the real question i would want to ask you is like how important are mentors obviously you've answered that but how do you find them right and how do you know you know how much time does it take because many times people say i don't know anybody but honestly you know it, it's not it's not that's not the really the right answer uh yeah so as you said we need to be ready with lot of uh, to face lot of rejection i have a number for it so i think my success rate is less than 6 to 7% if i don't take 100 initiative i know that i'm going to fail so my success my key to success lies in taking those 100 initiatives we cannot be so unlucky to just uh, you know to, uh, to get zero outcome from 100 initiative but you need to be ready to face those 93 uh, negative results as well so you keep trying you you know you you keep your pitch ready uh, you should have a very clear ask from you know anybody who is busy who has a uh, lot of things to solve so if you know that what you are looking for Uh, you are crazy then i'm sure people are uh, people are more you know uh, nicer that way if you reach out to strangers on linkedin also people respond certain people may not respond you may not get uh, answer from specific person you want to reach out but if you have a problem in mind and if you reach reach out to certain number of people i'm sure answer is there there will be somebody who is willing to get on a call with you for 30 minutes and share their learnings so so your your key to 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 success on cold calling in linkedin is to have a much more specific problem because i i mean i get requests all the time but half the time those requests are from people that have not even read my profile and are just randomly emailing me to be mentors for them so were you were you what was your key was were you actually going through the profiles making sure at least i know a little bit about this person before i yeah so when you're you know, contextual you obviously have to understand what value you are expecting from him and why he is the right guy and for that you have to know the person you have to spend time to figure out uh, read through all the publicly available material about that person and understand why he is the right right, right person also we have to think from the uh, you know other person perspective he may not have he or she may not have time to spend on a cold email or a call so again you need to give them something so that they take your message seriously as an entrepreneur you have to figure out certain ways to write messages in such a way that people are 
uh, you know willing to respond what, what was your key what bo- what book what blog what 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 did you read got you the key to your success so good part about saas business is there a lot of uh, content good content available uh, from the us ecosystem the bad part is india you apply it and you fail miserably so in <laughs> lot of i used to follow david scott i also uh, used to follow a lot of people on twitter so there are good bunch of podcast and uh, material available on web any one thing you would recommend to someone who's about to cold call from tomorrow using pranjal strategy strategy <laughs> uh, so cold calling and email is a very fast uh, evolving space every 3 months your script need to change but yeah you can find some good podcast i think one of my favorite pod- podcast around saas would would be i'll come back on this part in a while i'll just well, i'll definitely definitely ask you again but you know i i will completely agree with you on the cold on the cold emailing part you know uh, obviously i've been a daughter of salesman so cold calling was in my blood when i started but when we started raising money for our current fund we actually uh, prepared a list of 4000 of 4500 people in india who were you know at some level of income right and this was all cold you know i mean we, we just aggregated this information from different different databases but the idea was that if you're part of a listed company you're from that family we have to have your email we're going to start cold email. we're going to find a way to cold email you or to cold right. approach you to get your interest and then obviously you know go from there to 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 build a relationship and it's been surprising like you know we it, it, it is a lot of effort right we we've had to have we use software cadences to make sure you know follow ups are happening on time but the results have been amazing right i mean the if, if i count how much uh, we spent in time and effort versus the result we've got Uh, and the business we built I, th- i think i think the you know like you said 5 or 6% can that's all it requires i i think the a cold e- a cold email conversion rate is like less than 1% so if you're getting 5 or 6% it's pretty high uh, so you're obviously doing something right and and you should write a blog prandel about your strategy maybe giving some of your templates out for other founders to use to to find mentors like sanjay so uh, there is another website which i can recommend for people who are looking uh, you know for some ideas around cold uh, initiatives there is a company called salesprocess.io so they provide specific templates and they help you build processes where uh, you understand what should be written and how it should be written so people can refer to certain resources like this you said salesprocess.io .io cool i'm posting that for everyone to see salesprocess.io so good let's let's talk about raising vc money now right you came to i and you pitched Were you? Did you ever think that you would raise all the money that that you had uh, set out to? Because I know your round was oversubscribed. So initially, we just wanted to, you know, have some money so that we can do experiment and uh, invest in building GTM around it. But when we started working closely with, uh, you know, once we identified a couple of uh, lead investors, we got a chance to spend time with them and think about how much we want to raise, why, where are we going to deploy it, and what outcome we should expect. uh you know by deploying those uh, money so uh, we spent good amount of time with sanjay on building the entire business model and he was patient enough to you know guide us through you know building that entire model and uh, help us you know see where all it can go wrong and put all the assumptions around it uh, and then we eventually managed to raise that amount and after that you know you made a very big decision because you decided that india was not your market after raising money and decided to go global instead which is a very big decision considering that you had not raised enough money to go global 
what was the thought process behind that so when we left the sme market the overall market size reduced drastically for for us and again we were in that space where uh, we had to either figure out another market or figure out another way to charge more money from existing smaller set of uh, enterprise hotels so from suddenly uh, 60 65000 hotels in india we were reduced to a market size of say 15000 so we had to figure out another way to you know bridge that gap and and that's when we decided to look at foreign market though we did not have money we raised a small debt we raised through debenture ccd and we deployed that money in you know figuring out southeast asian market and what was the success like what what has what what was the the differences between selling to an indian hotel owner versus or enterprise hotel owner versus uh globally so when we went to southeast asia and us market we realized that we should have done this long back so to every founder though india may be a large opportunity and i'm sure there are a lot of businesses building uh, large uh, revenue from indian customers but if your product is good and if you are if you feel that you are ready for you are willing to solve a large global problem we should not wait for a certain time we should immediately probably start selling in global market so focus is the key we cannot just go and uh, you know start selling in 10 different countries in, in the first few months of our journey but it's important to have that mindset where you think of a problem from a global perspective and you start doing it maybe you start building the product from that mindset overall no, we were so. today our 60% revenue is coming from global markets so our india contribution has reduced to 40% and the number of customers if you have to split that is that 60 40 as well or is the, or the number you know is are you getting high, higher revenues from your global customers so numbers wise there there less a number but revenue wise there are much larger component yeah so for the same product which uh, the pricing is different uh, outside india in certain developed countries you are able to charge uh, four or five times higher than what you used to charge from indian customer and if you are using inside sales then the cost of acquisitions remains very low overall number of customers even if you are doing you know slightly less number of customers the overall outcome in terms of revenue is going to be significantly higher if you have to give three pieces of advice to any founder who wants to now go global for with his b2b saas product what was those, what were those three things you know you would say do you do these three things before you start selling abroad when we step out see india is a home ground right we understand ways of doing business we understand how people respond behave and but whenever we are stepping into a new geography we need to understand the human part of it first before we start and you know start pitching start pitching we need to figure out how does the entire uh, you know country operates uh, there are so many small small things around you know culture which we need we should think of before we jump on that first call if we understand how that entire ecosystem is operating the overall job becomes much more easier so that will be the first thing second focus on customer problem uh, be ready that your product which has achieved product market fit maintaining may not give you the same success in let's say us or europe or uh, uk for that matter think of it as you know achieving your product market fit from scratch maybe you don't need to code the entire product again but certain changes ui navigation Uh, localization uh, maybe adding couple of other integrations that might be required to make it usable for a for a new geography so that will be the second and third we should speak with people before we uh, you know go and visit that geography we should try to speak with 30 40 50 people over phone and then go and you know take a tour meet certain people 
plan to deploy accordingly in fact snapal asked a very relevant question that we should probably take on which is like do you did you change your product when going to a global market yes yes so again uh, when we left the sme market we realized that our ability to charge from a very large hotel is limited to what value we are adding so that's when we decided to enhance the product scope and add more modules around it so from depa we launched an uh, enterprise product which is called experium and the price point was 10 times higher than what we used to charge for repub uh, and oh, wow. that product was meant for uh, all the laser destinations like bali maldives and all those places so we we have to rethink about the value we are delivering so uh, what was the highest number of customers or what was the, the customer count at the highest level number of hotels so pre covid we used to have 2000 plus hotels across the globe how does that feel 2000 hotel that's a lot of hotels uh no i think uh, that's still a very small number so idea is to have at least 10% of market share wherever we are actively working even india is a large opportunity uh, when you add sme and that was the reason we decided to pursue this merger where with integrated product suite we have ability to uh, redo the sme market which we have left we had left in 2017 so i think uh, having 50000 or plus number of, you know more hotels would be exciting 50000 is that the number you going after now yes so what, what, what tell, tell us about this merger which is going to get you to 50000 and and beyond right so uh, i have known aditya from hotel logics and anil and ravi from uh, access rooms for quite some time because we provide solution to same set of customers we had lot of common customers and we were meeting each other we had integration also we realize that we are solving same gtm problem with three different product and that is creating an inefficiency within the three companies because the same you know to sell to same set of hotels across different part of the world we have three different uh, you know ways to reach out to them we realize that a large company can come out only if it is solving a category problem end to end repub was solving one part of problem which was around customer experience but again we did not have any competency in the operations part or the distribution or sales technologies we realized that if we come together and build a all in one stack and become the largest it vendor for any hotel that will change lot of things because our customer acquisition cost will be now reduced to one third one third and the founding team everybody believe that if we do the integration in the right way there is a, a large opportunity within the existing customer base of almost 14000 hotels including all the oyos and all so if we just do the right integration and right cross sell upsell that's a fairly large opportunity so we decided to take that again that was a very risky decision we do not see three way merger with you know so much cultural uh, difference but we decided to believe in that and started that journey there there are obviously challenges of this tripartite merger but but what is it like now to be part of this larger consortium together so the good part is we have uh, everything within the group aditya and his team they come with lot of experience in operations space similarly uh, access room team they come with you know a good experience around distribution technology and a large distribution network and connection in the industry Uh, we come as you know technology and product guys with a very lean mindset and uh, agility we are uh, known to deliver good products at a short short span of time so we have experience we have network we have uh, ability to quickly build things and roll out though it, it it's not easy i'm i'll still say that we are still in the uh, middle of figuring out the right structure and right framework to take it forward that journey it's not easy to work with five different 
co-founders who have had their own journey, who have their own ways of uh, solving problems. We do have our own challenges and conflict. It keeps coming out once in a while. But uh, over a period of time, we have realized that everybody is coming with certain strength. And if we focus on the strength part, as a company, as a team, we are able to move much much faster. I would imagine that they're getting five co-founders on the same decision would take a lot of time, or a lot of beers for that matter. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> a lot of our decisions are discussed over either beer or biryani. So <laughs> there we go. That's what I would I would have imagined. But but I believe that you've got a new launch coming up. Uh, do you want to talk, tell us a little, little bit about what's coming up and what's what's happening uh, with this uh, with this merger? So uh, the merger. So we had three core objectives with this merger. One was to introduce a, an all-in-one product for the SME segment because we were all of us were selling three different modules indiv individually, and we believe that uh, there's a lot of uh, magic, you know, which is not being exploited from the data lying across three different products. So we are launching a new product. Again, uh, name is not decided yet. We are calling it AIOS. Uh, that should hit the market around November end. That will be one product which will solve every problem of a hotelier uh, from distribution, operations, and customer customer experience perspective. That is meant for global market, and we are currently uh, working aggressively on using the existing modules to come up with a product which has uh, you know strengths which are not available in industry currently. So the idea is to create a product which is at least one year ahead from current product stack which are uh, available across the globe and offer it to global SME market. In, in terms of, I guess, post-COVID numbers, where are you guys are now? Uh, because the globally, obviously, a lot more hotels have opened up than they have in India. So where are you guys standing in terms of uh, traction? So I think our worst time was April and May, when our revenue dropped by almost 80%, 80-85%. A uh, good thing is now some certain countries have started domestic operations. And another good part is, since we are not dependent on just one geography, Certain countries are contributing, uh, you know, good revenue today. Today also, we are uh, at Repop end. We are back to almost fifty percent of our revenue. At the group front, wow. I think we should break even within a month or two months' time. Wow, that's that's amazing! Amazing. Any more acquisitions then to do? Because they're breaking even. Everybody else is hurting. Uh, so right now, I think if we are able to derive value which is lying, you know, in this merger. Uh, that will be, uh, you know, still uh, an achievement for us over next 12 to 18 months time. But we do have aggressive expansion plan uh, once market responds. Uh, honestly, I, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you that. Uh, tell you because obviously, being early in OYO as well as you know having a family business and hospitality, the product you guys have is, is the need of the hour, right? Not it's not just about. I mean, reputation management is such an important part because everything is online and only becoming increasingly digital. But then the other parts that you're adding over the hotel logics and access rooms, uh, you know, and channel management, things like that. I think those as a complete product, this, this is the company, this is like a complete suite now. And I, and I really see some amazing times ahead. I, th I think you could now, as you correctly said, go back and crack the SME market because now you come with a much more larger suite of products, rather, you know, which would probably cater to so many different verticals. Uh, and, you know, it'd be difficult for an SME or a single stand, you know, single mom and pop hotel to not have you because you know it would be like running a grocery store without any you know still with, the, with the old register and trying to figure out inventory in, on notebooks right so okay. it, it definitely is, in, is is the need of the hour we've got a short rapid fire round for you uh, just like we do for everybody else the, the rules are very simple we'll take about 10 or 11 questions just shoot them at you whatever first comes to mind 
and i know you're a very frank person so it won't take it's not difficult for you just shoot it out give us the answer and if we find some interesting uh thing to go deeper into we'll go from there are you prepared for that sure and i think i think like i promise we're pretty much on time we'll only be about 2 or 3 minutes over so uh nice. so the first question the first question i'll start with uh pranjal one thing that you know to be true but very few people agree with you on it uh okay <laughs> so i think that would be in the current context merger uh, i asked some of my vc friends and industry people friends that what is the chances of uh, success so one of the close friend he said 20% i said i'll take that chance currently i'm operating with the 7% luck so uh, 20% <laughs> is uh, one piece of advice to founders about fundraising now that you've got three founders groups i'm sure there is some gyan over there uh don't raise if you don't need it really so raise it only if you have clear plans to deploy it once you have reached uh, product market fitment use that money for expansion use that money for uh, accelerator in action but don't uh, just raise because you want to raise who is your favorite superhero uh <laughs> so i think that would be iron man <laughs> i know iron this answer man, I- this answer has been repeated on your show but uh, we have the same same you know what i believe he's real i mean that's something you can uh, you know dream of you know achieving that someday and that still has some chance scaling before profitability profitability before scaling or or rather indoors i think if you know that you can scale it up it's okay to you know burn right as long as you know that at the right stage you will be able to uh you know take couple of actions and you know bring it to profitability it should be under your control you should not just be burning things and you, should, you, you and you're not you do not have any clue to fix it it's okay to burn as long as it is needed and if you're able to move fast if you have money if you have time and market is ready for it it's okay to burn but you should know that what needs to be done to make it profitable that's a very key thing i i think and very well said that you know like burn because you have an objective to meet but also know exactly how to get out of that get out of it if things go out of control if you could pick the brain of one person for 24 hours ask them anything you want so i have been fortunate to have this person in access now it would be shekhar kirani uh, and now since he's part of uh, our board i'm i'm not getting 24 hours but <laughs> i'm definitely getting some insights shekhar if you're listening you got to give this guy 24 hours man just 24 hours that, that's that's one of his wishes so you know people have said elon musk they've counted out you know uh, bill gates i mean we've had so many answers this is the first time someone says there's a board member that would like to spend 24 hours with uh, so shekhar if you're listening in you know please take 24 hours give it to our man and and let's fulfill that wish one thing you would like to change about the indian startup ecosystem i think uh, the overall perspective should be slightly broader we should think of global problems we should focus on value we should i will i'll again borrow a you know keyword from prasanna so he has a word for companies called vanity sas so there are companies chasing some numbers but it doesn't realize in terms of uh, you know money in bank or overall outcome for all the stakeholders so we should we should chase value we should chase uh, revenue we should chase real businesses a uh, lot of indicators lot of data in our mis that may not actually be you know usable after a while so i think focusing on value rather than on certain vanity metrics that should that should change businesses should be seen based on efficiency 
revenue, the customer retention and all those things, not just based on how much money they have raised, type of brand ambassadors they have. So those things probably we should get rid of. Thank you, Franz. I think you, I think you really are taking a gun to a very specific part, but I, you know, I call them fluff metrics, right? Or rather, I mean, I don't remember where I read it, but they're all fluffy, right? They're like, this doesn't really, really mean anything, right? It's like when in 2000, in 1999, you know, it was the number of clicks or the number of eyeballs, but it wasn't revenue, right? And, and I am surprised that 20 years later, we're still talking about numbers that, like you correctly said, have no impact on the bank account whatsoever. Right. So even if that go 10x, it doesn't really mean anything, right? right. So, so so important, like, you know, chase the right metrics, right? Let the other ones be. According to you, and, and uh, what is one thing that investors should bring to the table other than money? Tough questions. So if investors are not asking the right and tough questions to founders, um, I, I don't see, you know, any right uses of that money as well. So apart from money, they need to write the right questions. They need to be very frank and, you know, put founders in a tough position in board meetings. I think they should make sure founders want investors to be founder friendly. <laughs> you can be friendly ask the right relevant questions, right? I, I know what you're saying. I was just, I was just yanking your chain. But yeah, I, I mean, it, it's important, right? Because we're the ones that are, that are seeing the business more from, I would say 20, 20, uh, 20 stories up, right? And you all are seeing the business from ground floor, right? And sometimes the guy who's standing 24, you know, 20 floors up can actually see what's about to happen and be more, you know, uh, relevant while you're you know while you're busy they are the ones charting out that you know looking at where, where the where the territory getting charted out when do you get your best work done morning or night uh, i'm a night person so usually best of the ideas and best of the work happens after 10 or 11. so guys if you want to reach out for any kind of thing to to pranjo best time is is late at night after 10 or 11. so i'm i guess i'm going to finish the show and you're going to get to work right so <laughs> I would be like the coffee right before you go to work. Three books you would recommend to founders, any founder to read. Uh, so there are many good books available in the market, but I will say from product perspective, uh, right now, one of the topic would be escaping the build trap. So I've, I've just finished reading it. Uh, it's by Melissa, Melissa Perry. From process side, I would suggest a book which, which talks about OKR, objectives and key responsibility. That is called measure what matters matters yeah yeah john so, Doe. yes again that's an amazing book it has you know made a lot of impact in our business and our efficiency significantly and the third would be can i suggest non-business books yeah go ahead so there's a book which talks about biases art of good life i like that because uh, it gives a glimpse of what all can go wrong, what, what all you might be thinking uh, wrong. What is the name again? Art of? Art of Good Life. Art of Good Life. Okay, good. I think I think we'll put those three names uh, in, the, in the comment section. Since you ended it, since you ended it, you know, you gave, you gave a third book that is non-business, I'll ask you a question that is non-business as your final question, which is, if you were to be convicted for a crime, what would it be? <laughs> uh, I think that would be brutality in terms of being too straightforward. <laughs> Has that ever got you into trouble? Uh, I, that, that's not the, uh, yeah, that is a challenge also sometimes if we, if we are not using it in the right manner. We have our own differences. And I'm sure some of my new co-founders would give you right feedback on that front. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> I'm also trying to work on that part so that uh, eventually we have the right way to, you know, 
come to a consensus hopefully we'll, we'll be you know in the, in the in the in a future episode i'll be able to invite one of them to come on board and then we can talk about once obviously the entire merger is done uh, talk about it post uh, post merger i think pranjal with that i th- i think we have uh, let's just take this one last question and that should be the end i think the question is how do you handle implicit implicit biases in your products or businesses how important is diversity and inclusion to handle bias uh, that's a tough one so there are biases i mean that's and uh, one of the biggest bias we have is based on our own experience we try to always uh, you know do certain things because we are familiar with certain uh, especially in the current situation when we are we are in a three way merger everybody is coming with different ways of doing business it's important to focus on one thing which can be either your customer or it can be your employee or maybe so you 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 have to leave it, uh, to solve a bias situation you have to have a higher goal in life probably and that can be how does it impact my customer if uh, if i'm trying to build a product or functionality in certain way if you keep the customer in center then probably your biases will be slightly second way keep can the- be you know, having a debate uh, you know understanding perspective of different people uh, having a metrics around you know putting things in terms of number okay if we do this these are the outcomes these are the costs and and you know take decision based on data great answer pranjal i think i think i don't uh, it, it, there's no better way to end this conversation than you know, put the customer in the center and and that's how you're going to figure things out and let data decide decisions and and not gut right so pranjal before we end the show thank you so much first of all you know for for taking out the time you know uh, you know i i know you had uh, a bit of apprehension because our shows get too long but but i like i promise you know we are only about 5 or 6 minutes over but if people okay. want to reach out to you the best way to reach out to you is via email which is pranjal@repub.co it's already on the screen for everybody pranjal any closing thoughts before we end for the end for the night thank you so much uh, i think this is the right time to build companies uh, entire econo- economy is being redefined we are seeing the new user user behavior my advice to entrepreneurs and businesses would be to focus on innovation and probably this 2020 will reset a lot of things in different industries thanks a lot pranjal have a fantastic fantastic year ahead and i'm sure in a future episode when we have you back you'll be discussing how we got down to 54th 50 50000 uh hotels i think when we get that number we would love to have you back and discuss how we got from uh, 2000 to 50000 thank you so so much good night good night thank everybody you,